The importance of humility in our daily walk, next. Jesus said to his disciples, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And that position is one of humility. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed with and so caught up in our own self-importance, our own self-absorption. Do you know who I am? Are you aware of who I am? You might say when you show up at the office and maybe somebody doesn't recognize you or they don't know who you are. And you don't want to be like that. You want to walk in humility. If you're seeking to elevate yourself, to promote yourself, here it says that you will be humble. But if you seek to humble yourself, to walk humbly with your God, to be a humble servant, that that's pleasing before the Lord. Well, it's not hard to see that the vast majority are consumed with pride and seeking to exalt themselves every chance they get. From the corporate executive who puts others down to climb the ladder to the pro athlete who boasts in their accomplishments, But God wants us in a position of humility. It's there that He can give us what we need, His grace. Today on A Daily Walk, we open up Luke 14, where Jesus points out the religious leader's lack of sympathy and humility. Perhaps that's lacking in your life as well. Here's John Randall. Luke chapter 14, and we are more than halfway through now. The Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke has some of the longest chapters in all of the Gospels. But we are more than halfway through. And today we find ourselves in the 14th chapter as Jesus gets closer to the cross. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house with the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, There was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him aside, healed him, and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. In most cultures today, when you are invited or you sit down to a meal with a group of people, it is a significant event. Inviting people over to your home to enjoy your hospitality can be extremely meaningful. You learn a lot about someone when you sit down and spend time with them and fellowship with them over a meal. But could you imagine having Jesus coming over to your house after church? What would you make him? Would you clean your house? Would you do all those projects that you have put off that your wife has been asking you to do for years just because Jesus is coming over? Would you have your kids put the toys away and get everything straightened out before Jesus came over? Probably. But here we find here and throughout the scriptures that Jesus enjoyed fellowshipping with people over a meal. And in fact, his own enemies accused him of eating with sinners on a regular basis. They called him a glutton. They called him a wine-bibber because he had fellowship with people around the table. Whether it was Matthew, the tax collector, or Zacchaeus, or at a wedding feast in Cana, or at the home of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, there in the area of Bethany, or even religious leaders. This is actually here the third time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus accepted an invitation 
of the hospitality of a religious leader. And not just any religious leader here, because it says he was a ruler of the Pharisees. He had a more prominent position, and he invites Jesus over for the Sabbath meal. And you wonder, at the first sight of this invitation, why would Jesus be invited over to this guy's house? I mean, the Pharisees hated Jesus. They despised him. They were making plans to destroy him. How come they would have him over? Oh, but as you move in to the first few verses of this chapter, it becomes very clear why he had been invited over. It says that when he came, they watched him closely because there was a man who had a condition known as dropsy. Now, when it says that they watched Jesus closely, it means watching him with the intention of finding fault, to watch someone suspiciously. Now, the Sabbath meal... It was an important day and there were many rules and regulations and even traditions that were attached to keeping the Sabbath properly. And so having Jesus over on the Sabbath, this gave them more opportunity to find fault. That is why they invited him over. And so he comes in for the meal and immediately recognizes everybody is staring at him intently. Not trying to make it so obvious, but waiting for him to do something where they could point out he didn't keep our tradition. He can't be from God. I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant and someone's been staring at you that's not at your table. It's an awkward feeling. You know, you can, you're eating and, and you look over and, and I mean, just someone is looking right at you. And it's really awkward. And you turn your back and you're just like, are they looking? Is there something on my face? Why are they looking at me? It's an awkward feeling. Your children, if you take your children to a meal, I remember when our kids were really little, they would stand up in the booth and look behind at the person next to them and, and you'd always say, sit down, don't stare, stop staring at them. Daddy, that guy has, don't point it out. And they'd say it loud. It's embarrassing, right? So here's Jesus here and everybody is looking at him. They were expecting something to happen. You see, there was a man here that we note of who had a condition that was very painful and they had set Jesus up. This was a trap. This was, this was a snare that had been set. This wasn't the first time that they had done this to Jesus, by the way. You remember that Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, on the Sabbath day, he cast out a demon from one who was possessed. In Luke chapter 6, we read of Jesus going into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there was a man placed in front of him who had a withered hand. And everybody there, all the religious leaders, were, again, watching him closely because they knew He wouldn't pass up an opportunity to heal someone who was in need, regardless of the day. And sure enough, he healed the man with the withered hand. Then we saw only a couple weeks ago, Luke chapter 13, Jesus, uh, you remember on the Sabbath day, there was a woman that was brought before him who had a condition of 18 years. She was completely bent over. And Luke tells us that the reason for this condition was because of demonic oppression. And Jesus on the Sabbath day touches her, heals her, and all of the religious leaders were in an uproar. They were furious at this healing. And they said, there are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come back and be healed on that day. How sad, 18 years being afflicted, she's miraculously healed. And all that they could think about was that he he healed her and violated their Sabbath tradition. It's worth noting, by the way, that 26 individual healings that are recorded in the Gospels, the seven Sabbath healings would constitute 27% of the healings that Jesus did. It would seem that Jesus made it a point to heal specifically on the Sabbath day. And I believe that he did so. Well, this man's condition, 
that is before Jesus, as we said, is called dropsy. And this was an illness that would cause your body to retain a tremendous amount of fluid. It was uncomfortable. It was extremely painful. It was an indication that either your heart was failing, perhaps congestive heart failure, or maybe your liver, or you were having kidney trouble. And thus your entire body would would swell up with fluid. And oftentimes it would deform your presentation in front of people. And Jesus, being aware of this man's pain, sees him there. But it's also important to understand that the Pharisees, when they looked at a man like this in this condition, many of them suggested that he was in this condition because of sin. That the reason why he had this condition was because he was being judged by God. He must be a vile sinner because God only blesses people. He doesn't cause them to suffer. And that's how they looked at this man. They would consider him unclean. Now, I find this fascinating because they're considering him to be unclean, but they invite him to a religious meal amongst the religious elite. Why would they do that? Only one reason, to trap Jesus. And the amazing thing, Jesus does not disappoint the religious leaders. He does exactly what they were expecting him to do. But before he does so, he asks them a question. He said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's a simple yes or no answer. A basic question. But they did not answer. They kept silent. And so it says that Jesus took the man, healed him, and let him go. Luke says here that Jesus answered them. But did you notice that they didn't ask anything? They didn't ask any questions. But Jesus answering them. Here's the thing. Jesus knew what was going on inside of their hearts. Jesus knew the motive behind why they had brought this man. He knew why he was invited. This wasn't to enjoy a nice supper of fellowship. He knew what was going on. And so he answers not only with his words, but with his actions. And their response was silence. How could they respond? Jesus then, after he had healed the man, let him go. Because Jesus knew he wasn't invited really for the meal. He sent him away. Jesus then said to these religious leaders, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And again, they could answer him nothing regarding these things. Jesus is addressing those who were surrounding him, looking intently at him to find fault with him. And he says, listen, which one of you, if one of your animals on the Sabbath day fell into a pit, wouldn't you immediately pull him out of there? And of course, the answer, although they did not respond, was yes, of course they would. In fact, in the Levitical law, it made allowance. If that happened, you could pull your animal out. How much more would you not heal a man, regardless of the day, if you had the opportunity to do so? And what Jesus is pointing out by his demonstration and and by confronting these religious leaders at this Sabbath supper was simply this. They lacked sympathy. Godly sympathy, mercy for people who were hurting. At one point, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you remember, he said, you pay tithe and mint and and all these things, and you're very meticulous about these things, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what was that? Mercy, love, compassion. These things you've overlooked. You should have done those things. That's what God's concerned about. But they had basically just neglected that. They were to be God's representatives to the people, ministering to them, you know, caring for them, but they didn't. And Jesus calls them out for their lack of sympathy. They brought this man in there in this condition and they just used him to try to, you know, ensnare Jesus. How sad that was. They lacked sympathy and mercy. But Jesus, listen, when Jesus saw people that were hurting, the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion for them in the deepest part of who he was. 
He was moved with mercy for people. He genuinely cared for their condition. And as I look at Jesus and I see him, you know, unmasking the hypocrisy amongst the Pharisees, I wonder, Lord, am I moved with mercy? Am I moved with compassion for people today? How do I see people that are in need? How do I see people that are hurting? How do I see people that are lost, that are blind spiritually, that are in sin right now, presently? Am I moved with any kind of compassion for them? Do I have a heart for them or do I go, I can't believe they live like that. Why don't they just repent already? Is that the heart of Jesus? Sometimes, most times, I ask Jesus for mercy. Lord, give me mercy because I realize I need mercy. And sometimes in in the asking of mercy, we can look down the road and say, but judge that guy. Give me mercy, Lord, but judge her. When in reality, if we've received mercy, how can we not in turn measure out mercy? You can tell a lot about a person by the way they deal with other people. And so Jesus points out their lack of sympathy. But not only does he point out here their lack of sympathy, but the second thing we find at this meal that he, that he highlights is their lack of humility. Look at what it says in the next verse. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you shall have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now we read when this chapter opened that it said that the religious leaders were watching Jesus closely. But now we find that Jesus is actually watching them closely. And he notes something. And what he notes is the way in which they were all maneuvering for prominent places at the dinner table. Now you need to understand this. In this culture, they didn't have dinner tables like you and I have in our homes. You know, at our house, probably like most of you, there is the dining room table. And with our family, there are certain seats that are assigned to certain people. It's just funny how that is. You know, your kids end up sitting in the same place every time that is their seat. If anybody sits in their seat, that's my seat. Get out of my seat. If they sit in dad's seat, that's dad's seat. You can't sit in dad's seat. Get out of dad's seat. It doesn't even matter if one of the kids maybe is at a friend's house. They're not even at the meal, but they're spending the night somewhere else. And if another child decides to sit in that seat that they don't normally sit in because it's not their seat, the other child will say, you can't sit in that seat. That's Jacob's seat. <laughs> you can't sit in that seat. That's Joel's seat. And, and you know, they'll go around or that's Faith's seat. And, and they, just, they, they just have these positions that they sit in. Well, in this day and age, that's how we do it. But in that culture, the tables were different. They were shaped, if you can imagine, more like a U shape. And you wouldn't sit at... Uh, in a chair behind the table, but actually there would be pillows all around the table and you would actually recline. You'd put your elbow down on a pillow like this and your feet would be behind you. I'm not going to demonstrate, but you can imagine. Your feet would be behind you and you'd be leaning up there and you'd be, you know, dipping and eating and dipping and eating and the host would have a particular position. But the next most important position to the host was on the right side. If you were on the right side of the host... 
That is the most prominent position. So imagine this. Jesus is standing there. He's invited into the meal. The door's open and everybody is rushing to be on the right side. Get out of my way. Pushing and shoving and wrestling. I don't know. They're all trying to get there. And, and if you couldn't make it to the right side, well, then you make it to the next closest to the right side, which in turn would make you closer to the host. And if you couldn't make it to that side, and, and the farther on down that you went, it meant that you were less prominent. You were less honored. And so they were jockeying for position and trying to get into that place. And Jesus watches this demonstration of pride, desiring to be recognized. In another place, Jesus would say concerning the, the religious leaders, he said, beware of them. They desire the most prominent seats in the synagogue, the best seats at the feast for the purpose of being seen, for the purpose of being recognized. And he told his disciples, don't be like that. But as these guys are jockeying for position, Jesus uses this opportunity to speak a parable to them, exposing their lack of humility. And so he says, when you go to a wedding feast, don't sit in the most prominent place and then have somebody come up to you and say, "Uh, excuse me, that's for my grandma. You know, go sit in the back. You know what I mean? Don't do that. That's embarrassing. Everybody sees you. Listen, if you've been to a wedding reception, I'm sure you have, you've probably been to your own. But you know when, when, you better have been to your own. But when you go to a wedding reception, what happens? You sit down and there's, a, there's one table right in the center. Like all eyes are facing one table. Bride, groom, and usually best man, maid of honor, and on and on and on and on, down in, in rows of prominence, right? Now imagine this. Let's say your girlfriend got invited to a wedding. You don't know the family. You don't know the groom. You don't know the bride. In fact, your girlfriend only knows her from, you know, back in elementary school, but somehow she got an invitation. Maybe she's hoping to get a really good gift. So she invites her and you just happen to be with her. So you go to the, and you get to come to the reception and you don't know anybody, but it's a free meal. So you're going maybe a little dancing, you know, so you show up and you decide to sit at the head table next to the groom. Could you imagine the embarrassment of sitting in the bride's place? That's a place of honor. What are you doing? None of the, does anybody know this guy? Nope. And suddenly you are removed and placed in your car and sent home. No, you're, you're somewhere. Security, whatever the thing is, it's a little awkward. The point I want to make is this. Jesus is talking about humility here. He really sums up this parable by saying, whoever exalts himself... Well, he will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. How important it is that we take the lower spot. That's really following the example of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And that position is one of humility. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed with and so caught up in our own self-importance, our own self-absorption. Do you know who I am? Are you aware of who I am? You might say when you show up at the office and maybe somebody doesn't recognize you or they don't know who you are and, and, and all the rest of it and, and, and they're wondering why you haven't paid uh, you know, your homage to them or whatever. You don't want to be like that. You want to walk in humility. If you're seeking to elevate yourself, to promote yourself, here it says that you will be humbled. But if you seek to humble yourself, to walk humbly with your God, to be a humble servant, that that's pleasing before the Lord. How important it is to humble ourselves before him. I think this is really important as it relates to serving the Lord or in ministry, in all of life, really. One of the characteristics that's to be seen in the life of the child of God is humility. 
And the reason is pride is something that is an affront to God's holiness, to who God is. In fact, in the Bible, pride is something that it says God hates. And the truth is, we all struggle with it in some form. For some people, they have a lot of false humility. This also is pride. Just as much as brazen arrogance is pride, false humility is also pride because it's wanting someone to stroke their ego as they you know, put themselves down. But really, it's something else is the motive. God wants us to walk humbly with him. And if we will walk humbly with the Lord, then we will lack no opportunity to serve the Lord. But when we walk in pride, when we are promoting self rather than promoting Jesus, we'll be humbled. And God has ways of humbling us. And listen, I've been on the receiving end of being humbled and it's not fun. I would much rather humble myself than have the Lord humble me. Amen. Amen. Probably it's never happened to any of you, but you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying. When you think about this parable, I also believe that it really points to the person and work of Jesus. You think about all that he had, all the glory where he dwelled before he came to this earth and how he himself took the lower place, didn't he? He came in the form of man, but the condescension of Jesus coming from where he was, the heights of glory to come and minister to mankind. And he humbled himself. Paul writes to the Philippians and said he became obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. But then Paul said he has been exalted. He has been exalted to the right hand of the father and every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Jesus humbled himself and he was exalted. The Lord's saying, hey, you need to humble yourself rather than exalt yourself. In Jeremiah 45, 5, an important verse that I've often meditated on and asked myself the question, the prophet says, do you seek great things for yourself? And then he responds by saying, seek them not. How important it is to seek great things for the Lord rather than great things for ourselves in order to receive the recognition of man. So Jesus points out at this dinner, I mean, this is a rough dinner. Nobody, everybody's losing their appetite really quickly. Lack of sympathy and mercy for those who are in need and a lack of humility and just overcome with self-exaltation. But it doesn't stop there because as you move on to verse 12, we're still around the dinner table and then Jesus exposes and points out a lack of sincerity seen in hospitality. Look at verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, Don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you'd be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus now addresses the man who invited him and looks at him in front of all the guests and said, hey, Next time you hold a feast, don't just invite those people that you're hoping to get something back from them. And what he's implying is that's exactly why he had invited them. Well, that's a little uh, uncomfortable. That's a little embarrassing. Listen, what Jesus is saying is this man who invited him not only invited Jesus under false pretenses, but everybody else who was there, he invited them with the same impure motive. He was hoping either to pay them back because they had invited him to their house before, or he was going to put them under his debt so that they would have to invite him during future times as well. This is a daily walk with Pastor John Randall, who today continued our study of Luke. Would you like to hear this message again? Just go to adailywalk.org or listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
or call and request a CD copy for a cost of $5 at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another convenient way to listen to Pastor John is through our mobile app. Be among the thousands that are being encouraged in their daily walk by downloading that today. Find our app by searching for Calvary South OC. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. You can order it right now for the price of $15 at adailywalk.org or call 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828 and at adailywalk.org. As the Lord leads, we would also appreciate your financial support. We're consistently hearing from people that are being helped through the teaching of God's Word, and your gifts help to make that possible. So thank you for standing with us in 2024. To make a donation today, to help us continue the ministry on your station and others like it, visit adailywalk.org or call 877-242-0828. And if you're not a part of our online communities, start following us today. Pastor John shares biblical encouragement throughout the week on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. You know, there's much more to come in the Gospel of Luke, so be sure to join us next time here on A Daily Walk, where you never have to walk alone. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.